Thank you for listening to the podcast of Palmetto Baptist Church. We pray that as you listen to the following message, that it will encourage you to continue to connect, grow, and serve in your relationship with God and with others. Open your Bibles with me to the Gospel of Mark chapter 6. Mark chapter 6. We'll begin reading with verse number 30 in just a moment. Mark chapter 6, beginning with verse 30. Last week we started a new year with a new series entitled Starting from Scratch. And the purpose of these messages is to help us to have a better year, to make this year a better one for us uh, spiritually, in our relationship with the Lord, in our walk of faith. And sometimes you just have to to start from scratch in order to do that. Last week we looked at the benefits of transitions. Uh, Going from one year to another is a transition. But a lot of you are going through transitions that have nothing to do with the calendar year. Uh, They may be midlife transitions. They may be transitions going from middle school to high school or high school to college or from single to married or uh, something of that nature. Uh, Transitions are times for self-evaluation, to look back and, and think about where we've come from and who helped us to get to where we are. Uh, transitions are times for us to step back and take a breath, take a rest as we evaluate. And then transitions are times to envision the future. What is the future that God has for me? Today we're going to Look at a very familiar story, the most familiar story in the Gospels. I say that because uh, all four Gospels tell this story about Jesus and a great number of people. The title of this message is Harnessing What You Have. Mark chapter 6, beginning with verse 30. The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught. Then, because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, he said to them, Come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. But many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. By this time it was late in the day, so his disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said, and it's already very late. Send the people away so that they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered, you give them something to eat. And they said to him, that would take more than half a year's wages. Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? Well, how many loaves do you have, he asked. Go and see. And when they found out, they said five and two fish. Then Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties, taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. They ate and were very satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. The number of the men who had eaten was 5,000. Let's pray. 
It should come as no surprise to us, Lord, that you bless us with a lot. You bless us with gifts. You bless us with abilities and talents. You bless us with possessions. You bless us with friends and family. Lord, I I pray that you'd help us to remember what you've told us many times, and that is that all the things that you have blessed us with come with a purpose that we would harness them, use them to glorify you, to serve others in a productive and constructive way, and to grow ourselves in our own spiritual walk. Lord, there are many of us seated in this place today who feel like we don't bring a lot to the table. But Lord, I think if anything, this story teaches us that you don't have to bring a lot to the table for it to be used mightily. So Lord, encourage us with these words. We come to you, Lord, praying for people in our church, Randy Blanchard. Tom Roper, Ronald Stover, Lisa Grace's mom and dad, the Lawsons, Jake Cordell, Clyde Taylor, Charlie Pace. Lord, we pray for Rachel Kearns, for Miss Sarah Cochran, for Miss Betty Powell. Lord, I pray for people in this service right now who have never received you as their Savior, that something that would be said, sung, prayed, done, something your Holy Spirit does in their hearts would cause them to realize they need to come forward and invite you to be their Savior and Lord. I pray for people who are already saved, who have decisions to make, whether it's decisions about joining the church or decisions about their own relationships or their own jobs or their own lives, whatever it may be, And Lord, today you are leading them to make decisions about those things. Or maybe at least consult you more about those decisions. God, help us to realize what a great gift we have just in your presence to guide us. We love you, Lord. Work through us, Lord, to make this year a better year. A year in which we, we are glorifying you in greater ways, in practical ways. In Jesus' name, amen. I've been reading a book by a fellow named Wes Moss. Wes Moss is a certified financial planner. He and his wife live in Atlanta. Uh, you may have seen him if you ever watched Donald Trump's uh, Apprentice. I don't watch Donald Trump's uh, programs because... Uh, Donald Trump just makes me sick. But anyway, uh, Wes Moss was on one of the Apprentice shows that Donald Trump uh, had. Wes also is featured on on major national news outlets like CNN, uh, Fox News, NBC, ABC, CBS, uh, concerning certified financial planning. And he wrote a book entitled Starting from Scratch. In that book, he highlights over 20 different people who basically changed their lives in midstream, business-wise. 
and they just kind of started from scratch trying to build a business. Now, I don't recommend everybody do this, but uh, he highlights some people who are able to do it successfully, and uh, he tries to, to glean from their experiences things that people can do who are at least at a place in their lives where they feel like they're starting from scratch, even if you're not changing, totally changing business. He said this, he said, um, he said uh, one of the things you have to do in order to start from scratch and be successful is to harness what you have. And he makes three comments about this idea of harnessing what you have. He said, first of all, you need to identify your own skills and abilities. Do a self-evaluation. What are you good at? What do you do that you do well that other people recognize you for doing well? Now, we have to be very honest and objective about this because some of us do things we think we're doing them well and nobody else agrees with us. And so we have to really be honest with ourselves, maybe enlist the opinions of people who will dare to be honest with us about whether or not we do a certain thing well. But identify your skills, what you do well. Then second, figure out something tangible that you absolutely are in love with, you love. It may be a product, it may be an industry, it may be a trade, it may be a talent that you have that you just absolutely love doing. You're good at it, that's your skill, and you love doing it. So identify your skills, figure out something that you're really good at, And then put them together, and Wes Moss says you have the nucleus for a very lucrative career business venture. Now, that that may be oversimplifying the thing a bit, but there are some uh, truths in what he has to say. When it comes to growing in our Christian life, and when it comes to starting a new year off in such a way that by the time we get to December 31st, 2012, we have lived a year closer with God, lived a year in closer harmony with the Lord, we have been more productive in our spiritual lives, we feel like we have not just gone two steps forward and three steps back, but we've actually taken about four steps forward and maybe one and a half steps back. So we're gaining a little bit of ground by December 31st. In order to be at that place at the end of the year, we also must harness what we have. Harness what we have. I don't know uh, about all the relationships you might have in in your life, but I run across a lot of people who wish they were somebody else. They wish, they, they look at somebody else and say, boy, I wish I had the gifts she had. I wish I had the relationship with Lord that with the Lord that she has, or I I wish that I had the 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 talents and the gifts that he has, or the popularity that he has. It seems like there are a lot of people who look at other folks and say, I wish I was them. And the Lord says, stop wishing that you're somebody else and start using what you have. Harness what God has already given you in order to improve your lives. Not only spiritually, although I think that is paramount, but emotionally, relationally, occupationally, every other single aspect of your life lives. Now that brings me to this uh, story in Mark chapter 6, beginning with verse 30. It is uh, the the feeding of the 5,000. It's very interesting, especially in Mark and Matthew, because 
Uh, Jesus has already fed, had an instance where he fed 4,000 people in one sitting. And in Mark, that was two chapters earlier. Now two chapters later, he wants to feed, uh, feed 5,000. Only in Matthew and Mark do you have both of those. But this particular story of feeding the 5,000 is in all four Gospels. It is the only miracle outside of the resurrection that is recorded in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Feeding of the 5,000. Jesus is on the eastern side of the Sea of Galilee. It is an area known as the Decapolis. Decapolis is a Greek word meaning ten cities. It's a region of ten cities. Now, when you hear that it's a region of ten cities, the Decapolis, immediately you think, wow, that must be a very metropolitan area. But really it wasn't. The ten cities were really ten small villages, and they were scattered about all across the eastern area of the Sea of Galilee. And Jesus finds himself not in one of those metropolitan areas, but in a very deserted area within the Decapolis. A lot of people have followed him. Uh, We're used to thinking it's 5,000 people, but if you read the Gospels carefully, they're only counting the menfolk in that number. It's it's, uh, 5,000 men, even Mark here at the end of this uh, passage of Scripture, says that in verse 44, the number of the men who had eaten was 5,000. One of the other gospel writers says there were 5,000 men, not including women and children. So if you think about adding the women and children who also surely ate from the five loaves and the two fish, then it's not uh, illogical to think that there could have been twice the number of 5,000. There could have been as many as 10,000 people there eating from this miracle. 5,000 people is a miracle in and of itself, but when you think about how many more there probably really was, it was quite a miracle in and of itself. Jesus has been teaching all this number of people. It's getting late, dinner time. The disciples, they come up and they whisper in his ear. They say, you know, there's not a red lobster or a longhorn steak or a Nana's restaurant anywhere around here. We've been looking around and we can't even find a Bradley's or a Kroger around here. We think you ought to send them home. Send them home before they bring us the ticket. I know a lot of you who are that way. I've eaten with you before. <laughs> Jesus said, you give them something to eat. You give them something to eat. And they said, well, what? They start adding up. All of a sudden, the disciples become economists. It would take a half year's wages for us to feed all those people. Do you want us to go find a grocery store and then spend that much money? The way they say it, you almost think that they actually had that much money with them, but they didn't. Do you really want us to do that? And Jesus said, well, let's just stop and take stock of what you have. How many loaves do you have? Well, they go out and they take inventory. It's the first of the year. Every business owner knows you take inventory the first of the year. They take inventory. They come back and they say, well, we have five small barley loaves and we have two fish. But what is that among so many people? And so Jesus, taking the inventory that they had, had the people to sit down in groups of hundreds and fifties. And he started praying over the bread and the fish and breaking up the bread and the fish and distributing it through the disciples to all the people, those thousands of people who were there. Now, Mark and Matthew and Luke pretty much tell this story the same way. John, in his gospel, adds one little mm, important point, and that is that it was a little boy 
that they got the five loaves and the two fish from. Matthew, Mark, and Luke never mention where they got it from. If we only had Matthew, Mark, and Luke, we'd never know that that was a little boy's lunch sack or his grocery list uh, fulfillment that he was on his way home with. Only John tells us that. But here's this little boy. Very important part of this story. He happens by this big group. Now, he doesn't care about Jesus' teaching. He's a little boy. I have people tell me that all the time. That's the reason we started back the children's sermons, because people came up to me and they said, you know, Jimmy, our kids really don't understand your preaching. What they really mean is that the adults don't understand my preaching, and so we've got to do some children's sermons so people can understand what I'm trying to say. I know, I know what you people are saying. I can read between the lines. I didn't fall off a turnip truck on my head up in Cumming, Georgia. What was I talking about? The little boy passed by. He wasn't caring about what Jesus was saying. He was on his way home or either from home to somewhere else. And the disciples saw him and they didn't see anybody else with any kind of food. And they grab him. Come over here. And they take inventory of what he had. And they took it and they gave it to Jesus. And, and it was from that grocery sack of bread and fish that this little boy had that Jesus fed the whole multitudes. Now, I don't know if this little boy was thinking about how he could make a difference in somebody's life. Probably not. I don't know if he was, if he was walking down the road thinking, boy, I'd love to make this a better year. I'd love, to, for this to, I'd love to be happier in this year than I was last year. I'd love to be closer to God this year. I, I, I doubt that he was thinking about that. He may have. We don't know. The gospel writers don't say. But there's one thing about it. What Jesus did with what that boy had teaches us so much about, have, about how to have a better life. How to have a better year. Because this passage teaches us, among other things, that, that if we are to, to be effective in living a life of faith in this world of unfaith, we need to harness what God has given us. Now the question then is this, what has God given us that we could harness? Now this could be a series in and of itself. You, you, you and I don't have time this morning to go through all the things, an itemized list of the things that God has given us, but there are some things that I think are worth highlighting that God has given us that we can harness for His glory and for the help of other people. The first thing I think we can harness is this. We have access to God. Do you realize how incredible that one statement is that you, as a Christian, if you are a believer, you've invited Christ in your life, you have access to God. You probably won't be able to get past the selective service or the secret service going into uh, the White House. You won't be able to get through the Georgia Bureau of Investigation or state troopers getting into the governor's mansion. And there may be a lot of other public officials who are even lesser known than the governor or the president that you couldn't get within a football field distance of their house. But you have access to God. This little boy was coming by. I don't even know if he knew Jesus. I don't even know if he knew Jesus' face. I was at a funeral yesterday of my first cousin. We grew up across the street from each other. She died of cancer, brain cancer. 
And uh, after it was over, the church where they attend had this big, I mean, they had enough food out there to feed 500 people. And I was going through the line, and I got some food, and went over to get something to drink. And there was a lady on the other side of the counter. She says, you're Jimmy Orr, aren't you? I said, yes, ma'am. She says, do you know who I am? Do you remember who I am? I hate it when people do that. (laughs) You know. One of these days, one of these days, I, I'm going to get up the gumption and, and, and perhaps the arrogance, I guess, because that's what it would be. When somebody says that, to say, you know, you, you're not supposed to ask people that. <laughs> and so I looked at her and I said, no. I recognize your face. Which, that's the way it is with a lot of us preachers. We recognize a lot of faces, uh, but don't always know the names. I said, I don't know. I don't even know that this little boy recognized the face of Jesus. But he was in close proximity to Jesus. He didn't realize, I don't think, how much access, how close access he had to Jesus. Do you realize that you have access to God? The Scripture is is telling us this through and through. In Paul's letter to the Romans, chapter 5, verse 1, he says this, Therefore... Since we have been justified through faith, that's a fancy way of saying since we have been saved, become Christians, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we've also gained access by faith. God leaves his front door open and his porch light on for you 24-7. Paul again in his letter to the Ephesians chapter 2 verse 13, but now in Christ Jesus you who at one time were afar off, are made near by the blood of Christ. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 12. Christ, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence by the faith of Christ. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18. For Christ has also once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust. Why? That he might bring us to God. What can we harness this year? How about harnessing your access to the Lord? Somebody in your life is hurting. What's the best thing you can do? Harness your access to God on behalf of that person. I don't know that we have a greater gift than access to God. Harness that. Let me tell you something else we had that also this little boy had. We have access to people, friends, who have access to God. Not only do we have access to God, but we have access to friends who have access to God. Well, who did he have? Well, he must have had the disciples. They were looking around, desperately scrounging around for something, anything. What they were looking for really is several big buggies coming out of the grocery store, but they didn't have that. All they had was this one boy with about a a small-sized brown paper sack. Five barley loaves, two fish. Here he comes. He's walking down the dirt road. They see him, and immediately they just come on him like paparazzi. But who are these people who come on him like paparazzi? They're the disciples of Jesus. Well, who are they? They're the ones who, for a good three and a half years, are with him almost 24-7. They know him, or should. He knows them. He's chosen them for an intimacy that he does not uh, give to the host of people who are following him. These guys are in close contact with the Lord. You know something God has blessed you with? You want me to tell you? He's blessed you with friends who are pretty close to the Lord. 
People come to me a lot of times. In fact, I, I go to my own mentors a lot of times and I say, how do you figure out God's will for your life? That's the, that's the multi-million dollar question, isn't it? How do you figure out God's will for your life? And the answers that I always get include a number of things. They say, well, you, you need to look at a number of barometers. One barometer is, what do the scriptures say? Another barometer is, what do you sense the Holy Spirit saying in your life? Another barometer is, what do godly people advise you to do or not do? And I tell you, I, I, that's one of the things that, in my own struggle to discern God's will for my life, I, I try to seek out people. And I'll ask them, what do you think about this? If someone was faced with these, these, this set of, of, of choices, what, what would you suggest that they should do? And a godly person, 99% of the time, will direct you in the right way because they have a closeness with God. They've had exposure to the Lord. And they have, they have uh, been diving into his word. And so this little boy not only had access to the Lord that he didn't even realize he had, but he had instant access to some friends, the disciples, who also had an even closer walk with the Lord than, than did this little boy. We have access to God and we have access to friends who have access to God. And then number three, we have access to gifts. We have access to gifts. Now here, I'm not necessarily talking about talents and abilities. Uh, God gives us those too, but, but spiritual gifts are gifts that God gives to Christians in order to uh, build up the church, in order to build up the church family, in order to help each other grow in the walk of Christian faith. Now this little boy had five loaves and two fish. Uh, you know, I, I don't eat fish sandwiches. So he could walk by with that, and I could even smell the fish. It's not going to do a whole lot for me. Now, if he's got a Big Mac in there, but not a fish sandwich. My mom always loved McDonald's filet of fish sandwiches, and I always wondered why we had to pay for them. <laughs> I don't understand why you got to pay for a filet of fish sandwich. Now, I understand paying for a Big Mac. You're getting something, but a filet of fish sandwich, they ought to be paying you to eat that sorry thing. <laughs> don't you agree? Yeah. So here he comes by. He's got five loaves and two feet. doesn't seem like a whole lot. Your gifts, what you have that God has given you, may not seem like a lot. Either because you think you're too young to use them, or you're too old to use them, or you're too frail to use them, or you've made too many mistakes to use them. But let me tell you something. No matter what you have, how great it may look to the world, how small it may look to the world, how great it may look to you, how small it may look to you, I, 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 I re return to that song that I learned as a boy. Little is much when God is in it. Labor not for wealth or fame. There's a crown and you can win it if you go in Jesus' name. Little is much. These five loaves and two fish Jesus used to feed thousands of people. Well, God has given you gifts too. 
Uh, the Bible teaches us that He gives us gifts. There are actually four different lists of spiritual gifts in the Scriptures. We're not going to go through them, but you can find them in Romans, Ephesians, 1 Corinthians, and 1 Peter. I will tell you this about spiritual gifts. I want you to get this. First of all, every Christian has at least one. And I'll tell you this, I don't know a Christian who has only one. And so I'll say that from my own personal experience, every Christian I know has at least two probably more. So every Christian has at least a spiritual gift, if not more. Second, every spiritual gift is used for a twofold purpose. Number one, to, to, to build up other people. And second, to help yourself grow spiritually. Now, let me, let me, let me say what is not one of the purposes of spiritual gifts. To make yourself look good. Let me just tell you something. For those who are more vain than others, this is going to hurt just a little bit. God doesn't care what you look like. He doesn't care how good you look. He doesn't care how good you look. Now, that ought to be a real encouragement to some of you. <laughs> yeah, baby. I didn't call names now. Spiritual gifts. Everybody has at least one probably more, and they're always to be used to glorify God, to build up other people, and to help yourself grow spiritually, but never to draw attention to yourself. Now, let me stop here for just a moment and say this. As important as those first three possessions are that you can harness, you can have all three of those and not live an effective spiritual life in 2012. Access to God, that's such a wonderful gift. But it's not enough. Access to friends who have access to God, man, I can't tell you how much of a blessing that is. You already know it, but it's not enough. Possessing gifts that God has given you, spiritual gifts, awesome. It'll fire up your life, but it's not enough. There's one more essential that is even more important than these. And here it is. You can have access to God. You can have access to friends. You can have access to gifts. But what is more important is not that you have access to something, but that God has access to you. This little boy was in the right place. He was in close proximity to the Lord. He was in closer proximity to, to, to people who knew the Lord more intimately. He had gifts that were ready, readily available. But nothing miraculous happened until Jesus had access to what he had. And friends, you can have all the gifts, talents, abilities, friends, relationship with God you want. But until God has you, until He has access to you, your year is just going to be another one in a long line of doldrum. And so the key question 
as we start this new year, as we start from scratch, is this. Not what do you have access to, but does God have access to you? Let's pray. Lord, we're grateful for access to you, to your very throne room. We're grateful for access to friends who also have a close relationship with you and they can counsel us with wisdom that surpasses our own. We thank you that we have access to gifts that you have given us to glorify you, to help other people, and to grow ourselves. Help us not to misuse those gifts to try to bring glory to ourselves. But Lord, more than any of those, my prayer for every person in this room this morning is not so much that we'd have access to these different things, for we do. But Lord, my prayer is that you would have access to us. That everything we have, our lives, our possessions, our friends, our goals, our jobs, our marriages, our children, everything about us would be yours. That we'd take these few loaves and a couple of fish that are ours and we would lay them in your hands knowing that you are able to do miraculously and inexplicably more than we could ever do on our own. Lord, somebody here needs to be saved. They need to invite you as to, to be their Savior and Lord. Someone here who's saved has kind of gotten off the track and they need to come and, and get back on track. Someone here is hurting and they just need to take that hurt to you. Someone here has had something good happen in their life and they just need to come and show gratitude to you. Somebody needs to come and join this church. Somebody needs to unlock the doors of their lives and give you full access, even to that back room that's way up in the attic or down in the basement or out in the shed. Lord, may we make the commitment this day to say, Lord, no holes barred, full access to you. I give you my life. That's my prayer, oh God. In the name of Jesus. Amen.